never seen a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. But how, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, you've never seen one. I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. It's the Video Nasties podcast. My name's Christopher Brown. Shogun Assassin, a grindhouse classic from 1980. To really understand it, and understand its roots and origins, you have to go back to somewhere else, though. A different place. Lone Wolf and Cub is a six-film series, and itself based on a, um, a, a manga, sprawling epic, called Kuzori Akami which spans 7,000 pages. Shogun Assassin tells a p- small portion of that story, being like a, a cut-and-shut job between two of these films from the six-film series. What it does, in its own way, using dubbing and its uh, version of events and its uh, slight alterations to the, to the text, is able to create its own uh, adaptation of the piece, while simultaneously really only using film elements from two different stories. Return to the vanished kingdoms of ancient times. Journey through a lost empire. Mad wizards and barbaric passions. Behold the saga of a legendary warrior, a loving father who has the power of a dozen armies in one sweep of his mystic blade. This is a story of honor, disgrace, vengeance. And a man who became a demon. Shogun Assassin. Once, he was the greatest of the magnificent samurai. Now, he hunts the evil lords who butchered his wife and stained his honor. One man and one child defy the most notorious masters of death on the planet. Like father, like son, meets the greatest team in the history of mass slaughter. Nothing on earth can match their infernal fury. Nothing on the screen can match this awesome spectacle of sword and sorcery.
Shogun Assassin. Released in 1980 um, for the British and American markets, Shogun Assassin is edited and compiled from two films from this Lone Wolf and Cub series, this six film series. Earth. He used 12 minutes from the first movie, Sword of Vengeance, and almost like the rest of it is from Baby Car to the River of Sticks. Now, Sword of Vengeance is used effectively to set up the uh, 11 minutes worth of it to set up who these characters are. And then we get into the, uh, the violence that uh, mainly stands out and it basically fills Baby Cart and the River Sticks. So these Lone Wolf and Cub films are actually is this kind of six film run. So Sword of Vengeance, Baby Cart and the River Sticks, Baby Cart to Hades, Baby Cart and Peril, Baby Cart and the Land of Demons, and White Heaven and Hell. And hilariously, even after all these six films, we don't actually get an end to the story. It kind of stops with him actually completing his destiny. So let's dial it back first of all, though, to the original comics, released in, uh, initially from in 1970s as these manga uh, volumes. So Lone Wolf and Cub chronicles the story of Agami Ito. He's the Shogun's executioner. Now, a Shogun is a military dictator in Japan during the, uh, well, spanning a huge period of time between 1185 and 1868. Anyway, Ogami uses a, uh, a battle sword and is an incredible fighter despite his rather chubby appearance. He's a disgraced man, though. Accusations of, of uh, him trying to... Uh, seize power are circulated by a clan and he has to basically leg it with his son after his wife is killed and take the role of an assassin uh, a kind of a in a western sense almost a gun for hire he takes his three year old son with him Diagio and they move through uh, rural Japan um, with a, a this baby cart, a pram, effectively, uh, filled with knives and swords and all sorts of nasty stuff, uh, seeking vengeance on those that have wronged them, but also uh, helping various villages against bad people who uh, want to take their uh, their job, their, their their money, effectively, gangsters. Now the comics themselves are influential. They influenced things like Frank Miller uh, for his Ronin C- series, and. Um, Max Allen Collins acknowledges the influence on his uh, graphic novel Road to Perdition, declaring it an unabashed homage to Lone Wolf and Cub. And two years after the novel initially made its first debut, uh, a series of films were released in very swift order. Over a period of uh, two years, these six movies that we've spoken about. The first couple were directed by uh, Kenji Misumi and they uh, they star Tomichaburo Wakayama and with screenplays originally penned by uh, the actual author of the book um, Kazuno Koiki now Kenji Misumi the director was known as a fantastic um director of these kind of a period films but also samurai action movies making as well uh, most notably probably Hanzo the Razor Sword of Justice 
Masumi had success at the box office generally for his action movies, and that kind of affords him to be able to use his own crew, which meant that he was able to work fast. In the same way, a lot of Japanese directors are able to uh, create a lot of cinema very quickly. Um, obviously, if from you know from a modern point of view, we'll be talking about you know Takashi Miike. So the films themselves um, have a underlying uh, satirical element to them in terms of how Japanese society uh, is reflected in modern days of corrupt officials and also in the past, a kind of a, a little gag that there's a, cont- a continuity between the two expressions. There's also um, an awful lot in truth of examination of a uh, and certainly in the comics of Bushido, this uh, way of the samurai, various codes and honors and ideals that dictate behavior. Um, you know, the, this again sits very snugly within the idea of, you know, the honorable killer, the man who is able to uh, do these terrible things, but he does them, you know, in the right way. Although not explicitly, the Lone Wolf and Cub series poke fun a little bit of that as well with its uh, over-the-top violence and gore. Ogami Ito isn't just um, good at what he does. He's insanely good. He's terrifying. So you have this... Um, this, 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 you know, this sword-wielding man with, his, with a child in arm who's able just to massacre entire armies. All within this kind of hazy Edo period of Japan as well. So it's kind of um, sits between um, 1600 and uh, the mid 1800s. There's also elements of um, dubious sexual politics in here as well, um, which uh, occasionally flare up in, a, in, in, in Shogun Assassin at a point, certainly within. Uh, from a, from, a, from a moment of baby cart in the river sticks. On a whole, it's a real smash bag of, of male, masculine stoicism, uh, cold revenge, and, uh, and just incredible amounts of blood. It really is hard to underestimate exactly how bloody the Lone Wolf and Cub series is. Um, and when people get cut, they... they, they fountains of the stuff all over the shop it's uh, it's a real jarring experience particularly if you're not expecting it with the um the mixture of you know 1970s kind of hair and and uh, and japanese style and then you know in this kind of pseudo um period setting where you can't put your finger on exactly when it's meant to be and um and then people just getting absolutely carved up and mixed with uh, quite cartoony um, reaction shots as well to kind of play up its incredible um, silliness, I suppose, in a sense. It's, uh, it simultaneously takes itself seriously and, and very much does. And it's a, a very satisfying experience, uh, particularly at the early doors with uh, Sword of Vengeance and Baby Cart the River Sticks. These are big, bashed, epic, um, although very condensed storytelling um, with, you know, lots of locations and loads of characters running around and elements of silliness and, uh, 
and just when you think it couldn't get get madder, you know, a woman has a, an ejector suit and a, a kimono and, and runs away, but always facing forward though, so she can still see the person. Just loads of crazy things like that, and then you have got these gang killers that pop up with different uh, weapons. It's it's bizarre, and then as the series goes on, it turns more and more into almost like a western, and a spaghetti western at that, with huge, you know, suddenly the Volgar you know uh, machine guns and, and all sorts of stuff and the um, the car develops a as uh, you know a large a large shooting device so they can increase the number of people that they're killing all in all good fun and hugely successful in Japan now with that done let's move over to Shogun Assassin so it's edited and compiled, as we said, by these two first films, but really it's the second movie with bits of the first one to explain what the hell is going on and why they're in the position they're in. It was directed by Robert Hudson and his partner, David Wiseman. And even though this is effectively a, a, you know, a cut and shut job between two movies, um, it, it is fair to say because of the, the care taken we'll get into some of this in a minute that about the film that it really was more than just a um you know a, a cheap dub job so robert houston uh was probably best known at the time for playing Bobby in Wes Craven's The Hills of Eyes a film we'll come to at some point in the future in our list as well as appearing in that though he also appeared uh, well wrote and directed I should say um, the teen comedy Bad Manners from uh, 1984 and um, directed uh, probably his, his, his most successful film I suppose in 2002 the Oscar nominated Mighty Times The Legacy of Rosa Parks his partner Dave Wiseman was a film producer an author and a graphic artist probably best known for Kiss of the Spies Woman. Anyway, Wiseman was a uh, protégé of Andy Warhol who directed Chow Manhattan in 72. He was a fan of these um, of these original Lone Wolf films and uh, obtained the rights of $50,000 for the first two movies. He got a deal with Roger Corman's New World Pictures to distribute them and um, and because of the scale of the violence, they very much aimed at the Grindhouse late night circuit and later on to uh, to hit videotape as well. Um, again, because, um, well, you know, who wouldn't want to spend the night watching loads of people getting decapitated? Shogun Assassin on its own, though, isn't, is more than just a, a, a cheap cash-in utilising the gory bits from two movies. Yes, it is westernised. Our story no longer has any of the uh, the, the honour codes and ex- explanation of the way of the samurai. Focusing far more on a uh, westernised, almost, uh, as we said before, a western ideals of a, a wronged man with nothing to lose who kind of falls into situations and is able to fight his way out of them. And you can see, though, that the... the Despite the fact that it's been, you know, cut, shut, re-edited, moved around, the um, the, the dialogue has been altered, utilising the fact it's been dubbed to a point that you know the the they're able to uh, change some of, some of the meaning of what's happening. Um, 
it's effectively reshaped into something something else, using as well bizarrely um, the comedian Sandra Bernhardt as a as a, as an actor as a, as one of the voices and uh, people from the local uh, Japanese restaurant to do authentic and noises as they all get stabbed and cut up. Corman was surprised by the the. Um, the impact of the movie himself describing it as a rather bizarre Japanese film and a surprise moneymaker with Houston and Wiseman later claiming that they didn't actually get any more money than the advance they originally paid for the film despite the success it made in the grindhouses along with the um, the care that was taken to kind of create a otherworldly film using the source material uh, almost a, a retelling using found elements the music has a future synth soundtrack which again gives it this otherworldly feel despite the fact that in actual fact of course this is meant to be a film that's a period movie the music was composed by Mark Lindsay who's from uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders and W. Michael Lewis of uh, Rinder and Lewis who are disco basically it's a mixture of East chimey melodies synth, electro and a bit of disco too it's um, it's notorious, really, in terms of the music for its uh, one track. <laughs> I'm being honest. The uh, the jingui tune uh, that we hear on the trailer, the uh, the very simply titled "Lone Wolf's Theme." The thing that thing makes it work really well is that. Although, obviously, you know, it's a bit of a bastard child, isn't it? A, a confused amalgamation of different elements and, and you, know, a, you know, this disco sim store to make it sound really modern for, the, you know, the Western audiences. And then you've got this, um, you know, period setting that doesn't feel really right. And then you've got all this story of, you know, <laughs> this, 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 this guy and, and his son in a, in a baby car, you know, just killing people. It's... It just seems like a really odd mishmash of stuff. But what it does do is um, have absolute, all the fantastic characters that sit within Baby Cart and the river sit, at the River Sticks. And what that does is kind of create this kind of really fun otherworldliness, you know, as we were saying about these, you know, assassins with different types of weapons and a, a female assassin who, you know, with sterling blades. Uh, an incredible set piece where where you know assassins themselves are uh, have various parts of their bodies removed with incredible ease by these female uh, killers. And although the story um, itself doesn't feel initially like it lends itself to it, does kind of fit within this kind of midnight movie, otherworldly, doesn't quite feel right sense, which was one of the reasons why it fits so well as a you know a, a grindhouse film something just so off the wall and different in a sense therefore it probably fits better when you talk about something like El Topo you know that kind of you know surrealist western so it does although maybe you know Corman was a little bit um, dismissive of the film initially it, it is fair to say that um there were good reasons why it found its audience, and hopefully as well, certainly as it did with myself as a as a as, a sh- as, a, as an opener, then led for me to watch you know the other Lone Wolf Club films and, and finally to to read the manga series itself. 
what's telling about Jogan Assassin is that it's able to um, obviously you know use this grindhouse obsessed with the gore there's an incredible moment when a throat is slashed and the guy whose throat is slashed is it before he dies thanks him because of the skill and technique that has been carried out it's just such a weird and bizarre moment but it's so perfectly within the film and obviously as we've said everyone is very keen to get uh, to get their self hand their ass handed to them by uh, by our killers Houston and Wiseman do more therefore than just cut and shut they they create a, a, a film that granted is part of the uh, you know it uses elements of Lone Wolf and Cub but almost serves as a, as a, a distilled tight little packaged remake with it taking its own elements and, and, and not into the fact that you know the the, the Bushido life is not going to be something that uh, stoned teenagers are going to particularly be that arsed about at one o'clock in the morning Reviews at the time were um, perhaps unsurprisingly less than um, keen on it. One of the things they used to kind of um, get through a huge amount of uh, just huge amounts of the storytelling. Degoro um, has a, his own narration for the film. And uh, at the time, film reviewers picked up on the fact that this was a bit bizarre because the bait of the curve was obviously like two or three. Um, but what obviously that does is it kind of gives you the, the, the bones of what's happening without having a, basically an entire film to get to the point where you understand why all these mad killers are chasing them. Um, it's pointed out that, you know, the, it, it, the film tends to um, centre on a, an incredibly observant young child and a father who is uh, just pushing him, his, his son up and down Japan. And of course the fact that um, with all the explanation cut out, um, the film itself is far more interested in, in, in violence than it is in uh, anything so uh, ridiculous as, as, as explaining why anyone would kill you know, this guy's uh, wife in the first place. And indeed, it's easy to be sniffy about Shogun Assassin. It has a core focus, and that is these incredible fountains of blood which fill the screen and catch the eye. But that said, you know, well, to be perfectly honest, Baby Card, you know, if you take uh, Baby Card at the River Sticks, on its own, that's kind of what it is. It is by its very nature. It's it's a, it's a portion of a long, far bigger story, and I do think that they're able to kind of drop you into this crazy, crazy world with a great deal of of skill and with its incredibly fast editing, explosive violence, fun scenes, and uh, ridiculous um, characters. It is always and always has been an incredibly fun ride. I think uh, the reality of the, 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 the film, uh, obviously it, its impact, it's not just in comic books, but also in, uh, in cinema as well. Um, the Kill Bill series um, nods really to, to two, uh, amongst many films, it nods to including Game of Death and all the rest of it, but um, in terms of, uh, of, of Japanese samurai and, 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 and vengeance cinema, so it's mainly to Lady Snowblood, 
and also to Shogun Assassin, most diversely probably to Shogun Assassin, and uh, be simply because it, it, it's mentioned as you know the, the child's um, bedtime story film, effectively. Uh, again, uh, suggesting that um, a relationship can be built around this kind of violence and gore, something that really Lone Wolf and Cub itself um, suggests more in the fact that these people are are lost and you know um, Ogami really is a, a character who you know is is, is one up from suicidal and indeed that is uh, replicated with this that scene nearly doors where he suggests you know do you go for the knife or the ball you, are you willing to go to hell with me my son or shall I kill you now and we'll finish this this story for you while I go off and effectively murder the story of the film in the UK is um, well, I suppose one of the reasons why we're here in truth but is uh, it's not quite as exciting as, as you'd think the film was released with two seconds of cuts um, for cinema release in 1981 so the cuts are really um, just at the start of the film with the uh, the first decapitation. It's incredibly, it's, to be honest with you, it feels punitive. But uh, the shot where um, the child's head comes up and the, he's distracted by the, the glare and the light and, and then in goes the blade. It was released on preset video also at the same time in 81 by Vipka, which is a notorious, as we, we've covered a few times before on the Video Nasties, VHS label. Uh, copies were seized, but um, supposedly, obviously, there was no uh, DPP Section 2 prosecutions for the film. So um, yeah, we can all put that to one, to one side, as it were. What actually happened then was it was... Um, we released again in uh, in 1992 on a VHS. This is the, again this two second cut version, and finally made its way to DVD and video uncut in the year 2000. Now Vipco, in their in their great uh, marketing push, stamped on the fact that the film had been banned for since the 80s, which wasn't strictly true, but um, it had been banned in an uncut sense, I suppose. But um, I think that more sits down to uh, Canny Markton than, than much more else. And finally, of course, the Serbian Assassins kind of kept in the memory, and not just because of Kill Bill, but also through music as well. Um, Giza, in his, uh, his album Liquid Sword, uh, takes heavily from the, uh, from the original uh, soundtrack uh, to the film, or certainly the, the voice soundtrack. We, uh, we hear uh, this narration pop up on a few occasions with the uh, and some of the ominous um, synthy tones are, are littered through the album they were supposed to kill my father but they didn't that was the night everything changed sometimes we got a fast and fast. You niggas don't know where this shit started. Y'all know where it came from. We're saying we're going to take our back to the sword. And we can hear, of course, there, you know, that 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 complicated uh, rhymes of of Giza mixed in with the uh, the rather surreal um, and strange uh, narration of a uh, 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 from from Shogun Assassin. 
So an odd child, a, a, a mix of different elements that come together and captured the imagination, not just in the 80s grand houses, but on video, DVD, and now Blu-ray as well. Certainly, when we go through these films, and I'll say whether this film's available or not, I'm incredibly aware from four and a half years ago, a lot of the films I said weren't available are now. Anthropopagus, the Beast, sticks in the mind initially. That was a film I, I, I screened myself in a cinema. But also, um, but certainly with this film, um, it's available on a variety of formats. Uh, you know, for however you currently consume your films, I suppose. Um, these days, it's a bit. There's a bit more to it than just, uh, you know, um, DVDs or videos or whatever. Uh, you know, streaming services. But as we say, it's available as a, uh, a Region Zero Blu-ray set and the Lone Wolf and Cub set from and, uh, from, from Criterion. And um, so there you go. And also in the US as well, there's the Criterion Collection, which is a Region A. So you can uh, you can all enjoy this in, in glorious high definition. A show you should wish. And I would argue you should. When I was little, my father was famous. He was the greatest samurai in the empire. And he was the shogun's decapitator. Anyway, thank you very much for that. And thank you for all the kind words of everybody who uh, who's contacted me about the... Uh, series two of this this show um you know we're only just starting our journey through uh, through these section three lists um i chose stroke assassin because i thought it would be a bit different from you know something like driller killer or or the, you know those kind of films to, to, to open up with and indeed as a collection of films although there's a lot of slashing in here too we've all with you know points and interesting things to talk about there are as well unusual elements and, and, and films which uh, stand aside, you know, aside from just you know, a gory slasher movie or a cannibal film, although we'll, we'll, get, we'll get you to those kind of films as well anyway yeah, as I said thanks very much for everyone contacting me, if you want to get hold of me please do, my email address is videonastiespodcast at gmail.com you can get me on twitter at, at orange underscore monkey or you can go to the either websites videonastypodcast.com or the uh, the last horrorpodcast.com um episodes will be on on both however i must as i said uh, last week i must say that this the video nasty podcast will stay on the video nasty feed and the last horror podcast will just be you know will will be put into in, into sleep mode i suppose <laughs> for, for for the time being only popping up for the odd special um to save spammer people's download feeds if you follow me on both which i'm sure a few of you do actually anyway next time we are going to show uh, the astrologer from 1975 re-released the suicide cult in 77 so the term we're using a suicide cult because that was what was on the video i would argue a lot more of you probably know the film as the astrologer from 75 76 um we'll go into the details of that particular story and um, you know, a, a scientist um, finds himself fighting against a, a, a cult um, in a well, a film that's better in its action than its talking scenes. Let's put it that way. But let's not uh, let's not prejudge. You may enjoy it. Uh, until next time, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. seen a 
a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. How, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, have you never seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. Submit with honor to a duel with my son. 